Welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth, the official podcast of RestaurantOwner.com and Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Today, the restaurant industry is changing faster than ever. Learn from successful independent restaurant operators and other industry leaders as they share best practices that will help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. Here are your hosts, Barry Schuster and Chris Tripoli. Well, welcome to another episode of Corner Booth. I'm Chris Tripoli. I'm Barry Schuster, editor of Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Hey, Barry, today we're taking a little trip. We're going way, way deep into the hill country of Central Texas, where among wineries and lavender farms, there's Blanco, Texas, and people in Blanco know the cafe Red Bud Cafe. And so we're fortunate enough to have the proprietors, John and Jan Brieger of Red Bud Cafe. John, Jan, welcome to Corner Booth. Thank, Thank you. you. Happy to be here. Yep. Thanks for having us. Well, maybe you could go ahead and tell the viewers a little bit about your road into hospitality. We understand it may not have been your first career. How did you get the bug? How did it happen? So how did the Red Bud become? Well, it kind of starts. So Jan and I started our lives together. And well, we met in high school. In college, we both started taking art classes and we started making pottery and we love making handmade pottery. And so that became our career choice. We made handmade pottery. We went around and sold it at arts and craft shows, traveled around the country. We sold it through retail outlets. We sold it wholesale. And so during that time of making and selling pottery, we decided we wanted to have a retail outlet. And we had moved out near Blanco and we built our own house. And while we were there, we discovered a little shop that was available to rent. It was very small. It was like 20 by 16 square feet. I mean, 20 feet by 16. And we set up our shop there and just had our pottery in there. And we thought, well, this will be a good try on whether we can make a living selling our pottery in this little town of Blanco. So over the years, that worked well. We were able to sell our pottery. We made functional pottery, like dinnerware and all that kind of stuff that you could use functional. And so we started selling it, ran the retail shop. Jan, pretty much, she's in charge of the retail side of things. She's real good at retail. Over time, we enlarged the size of that shop and added more things to it. We started selling other people's crafts and art, and we also started selling some stuff that we would get on our trips to Mexico and things like that. So over the years, that kind of grew, and we enjoyed the community of Blanco. We felt like it was a good fit for us. We got to know the community, became involved in the community, got into things like the Chamber of Commerce, and there's an old courthouse on the town square. There's a preservation society that runs this courthouse, and Jan's been very involved in that over the years. They've restored it, and it's used as a community center. So we were real involved with the community in that way. And while having this retail store, a lot of people would come in and ask, you know, where can we get a good salad? Where can we get a good sandwich? You know, because we had restaurants in town, but they were mainly more like chicken fried steak kind of places, things like that. And so we would say, well, unfortunately, there's nothing here right now like that. And also... We're fortunate in our community of Blanco to have one of the earliest Texas craft breweries and one of the largest in the state, which is called Real Ale Brewing Company. And they'd become established in Blanco, had been getting bigger, and they built a new facility, but they had a very small tasting room and they're only open like one day a week. And people would also say, where can we get Real Ale beer? Where can we go to try it out and sample it and stuff like that? So hearing this over time, the idea popped into our head that if we could open something where we could offer, you know, good, fresh high quality sandwiches, salads, soups, and place for people to sample real beer, that that would be something we'd be interested in. So, but I don't know if we ever would have acted on it, but the building we were in and we were leasing our place from 
the landlord decided to sell it. And when he decided to sell it, we didn't want to lose our spot. And we had thought about doing something like this. So we thought if we could go ahead and open a cafe over there, (laughs) uh, not really knowing what we were getting into, then we could have a way to maybe keep this building. So we worked out an agreement with him with an option to buy the building after five years if we could make a go of the cafe. The original idea behind the cafe was it was going to be small. It was going to be just cold sandwiches, soup, salads daily soups. And then we were probably going to have more retail space in this building. It was an old hardware store that had been constructed in the 1930s on the side of a hardware store that had been here since the 1800s. But there was a fire and in the 30s, they rebuilt it. So it's a large building. The building itself that the cafe is now in is like 4,500 square feet. The building, which is right next door adjoining that the pottery in is like 2,000 square feet. So it's, you know, a large piece of property. And so we got into it and got going on it. And we had a friend who was a chef and had her own restaurant for a while. And she was no longer doing that. She was just doing private catering. So she came on board to help us develop the menu and different things. So we kind of got going on it and didn't really know what we're getting ourselves into. But over time, we worked our way through it. Yeah. (laughs) And it was very well received because like John said, people were looking for something clean and fresh and, you know, light for lunch or dinner. And so people surprisingly just really welcomed us and came in. And and we also have Highway 281 running right through Blanco. So we caught a lot of travelers as well. And it's right, the area is right between Austin and San Antonio. And so people would come and meet each other, meet friends and, you know, maybe stay three or four hours visiting. They'd also, parents and grandparents would drop the kids off, you know, they'd meet here halfway, give the grandparents the kids for a weekend or something. And so we found that it was a really good um, central location for a lot of people. So just by default, sometimes people just being hungry and stopping in or by plan, uh, we ended up with a lot of customers and a lot of loyal repeat customers too, and local and lots of local people. Uh, I mean, we've heard many stories of people joining into restaurants from other careers, but I'm just not so sure we've ever heard of something that were traveling arts, crafts, potters, taking over a hardware store to get into a cafe before. This is a new one. <laughs> well, that, that pottery was heavy, you know, and, and after 12 years of doing that on a regular basis, yeah. we, we wanted something easy, you know, yeah, like, part, part like of a the, restaurant. <laughs> part of the uh, impetus of first having the retail store was that we had been traveling in one, you know, like one or two years before we actually opened the retail store. We were on the road doing arts and craft shows like 26 weekends out of the year. And it was just, you know, hauling pottery around, setting up, you know, exhibits and all these kind of things was uh, was wearing. It's and it kind of, yeah. And so we kind of were ready to do something different, which is why we were looking for the retail location. And then once we moved from that, we moved into the to the restaurant thing. We'd always loved, you know, we love food. We'd love restaurants. We Whenever we would go to restaurants, we would kind of watch how they operated, talk about how they worked, all those kind of things. Not really with the intent of ever getting into the business, but it was just something we were interested in. But then down the road, it turned into something we did. So, You know, it's interesting what Will um, 
I'll pick up on. And, and the, one of the things that you mentioned in passing was this relationship or this, uh, I'll call it a relationship to this craft brewery um, that was in your town. And and uh, here in North Carolina, where I am, the craft brewery movement is, is big as it is everywhere. And I have uh, noticed that it is transformational in terms of restaurants and food service. It, it can, a craft brewery can change the culture and vibe of a community. And not every craft brewery wants to get into the food service. They have food trucks, but often they'll have relationships with small restaurants. Um, Am I making too much of a big deal about this, John and Jan, or uh, was this um, entrance of this craft brewery, brewery into the market um, transformational in terms of what people were looking for in terms of your opportunities, if that makes sense? You're very much right on that, right on, on target. We, uh, the, the craft brewery, we, we become friends with the owners too, but um, their, their being in our community was transformational to what was going on around here, to how, what, what people came out to the community, you know, came out from the cities to see and, and learn about the town. And so, you know, and they, uh, they, they are a very well-established and do an amazingly good job. They have a large uh, variety of beers. They've won many awards, you know, at the Great American Brew Festival and all that. So they're, yeah, they're, they have made a huge difference in our town. They were, like I said, one of the main reasons we, you know, part of what we wanted to do when we opened the cafe was to have their beers on tap. And one of our, the things my wife and I enjoy the most about having their beer is that we love sampling their beer for people, you know, cause it's like a whole experience to talk to people about the beers, let them try different things, see what they like, you know, it, it feels good to find a beer that they like, and mostly you can find something that people are interested in beer at all that fits their flavor profile that they really like. And so we we enjoy that interaction with the customers, and that was a big part of what we wanted to do. And then, you know, pairing it with the food that we offer is always fun as mm -hmm. well. I knew I never drank beer. I knew nothing about beer or even how to pour a beer, but... You know, we laughingly say, wow, you can learn all sorts of stuff when you open a restaurant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to follow up on that a little bit, we have continued that relationship over the years. We have 16 beers on tap and 15 of them are, are the Real Ale Brewing Company. And so uh, we still follow them closely. We have, we have, they have seasonals that we come out with. And we've also, during the pandemic and everything, uh, they have gone, they had a, uh, tap room or a tasting room and they ended up moving everything outside and you're right they had had food trucks but they had trouble having them on a regular basis or keeping them uh, engaged and so we were talking with them one afternoon and and uh, came up with the idea and our general manager helped put this all together yeah. he uh, he put our online menu out there he did QR codes and they're at all the tables that they're in their uh, beer garden outside and people can scan that code order online right there and then we deliver to the brewery and that's when they're open on Thursday, Friday, Saturdays and Sundays. So, you know, we've kind of paired together on that and I think that's worked really well and we've been happy with it and they have too. Takes so. the pressure off them and allows for more sales for us, you know, because there were times during COVID that, um, <laughs> more than a few. That, it, that it was a challenge and you had to figure out how to how to keep everything going you know so mm -hmm. i've seen that model work other elsewhere in terms of your menu um you know you talk about sandwiches and so forth and um 
but you're creative people. I got to believe it's more than just quote sandwiches and oh, yeah. so forth. Yeah. So tell me about that, you know, on two levels. One, you know, what are you doing in terms of your culinary artistry? And two, you're still in, you know, as the song goes in the heart of Texas um, in uh, chicken fried steak um, land. Um, how broad is your menu to uh, beat the veto vote for somebody who wants chicken fried steak? That's a good question. Yeah. yeah. Good question. So what we started out with was, like I said, kind of cold sandwiches like chicken salads, pimento cheese, you know, uh, turkey and provolone, things like that. All done on artisan breads, you know, nice, super good quality breads. We use good quality meats. We use good quality cheeses. We want everything to be top on quality. But we were just making sandwiches, you know, um, an upscale version of a sandwich, I get out of the sandwiches. And, uh, and then salads, we would do dinner size salads and things like that. But we did find early on that we were missing out on what, you know, maybe some of the guys would want to eat and things like that. So uh, we quickly moved into doing uh, hot sandwiches like Reuben's and, and French dips and, you know, different roast beef sandwiches and things like that. And that went over well when we started doing that. And then shortly thereafter, we started doing kind of gourmet hamburgers. So that's where our menu moved. We do not have a fryer, have never had a fryer. There are times it would be nice to have a fryer, but, <laughs> but you know, we just have never gone that direction. We tried to stay um, with, the, with the, we serve large portions, but we don't uh, go with the uh, heavier food. And people have been real responsive to the menu. The burgers are our most popular things, probably in general terms. Um, we do like three or four Gourmet, gourmet burgers that have different names, you know, that are say the Blanco burger, which has poblanos and bacon and, and uh, chipotle mayo and things like that. So, you know, we do a variety of burgers. We do a variety of hot sandwiches. Uh, we do cold sandwiches and we also do homemade soup. So we have a, like a rotating uh, array of about 15 homemade soups. And so we don't do like every day, there's not a different soup, but we will make large quantities of soup and serve it for several days and it would be they would rotate and so it might be uh, soup might not come up again for say two weeks but people kind of have accepted that model and the way we do things and they'll call and ask what the soup of the day is or what the soup is going on right and we have two soups we always have one meat soup and one vegetarian soup every day and the soups have been very popular and we pair those with salads and sandwiches and all that I mean we're really a, mainly a lunch focused kind of place our our hours during the week are from 11 in the morning till three in the afternoon. So just four hours a day for Monday through Thursday. And then on, on Friday and Saturday, we stay open till nine at night. So we open 11 in the morning, we go till nine at night. And we've added, we've for many years have had a live music component on Friday and Saturday nights. That usually goes from 6.30 to nine. It's usually local musicians, usually just one, two, three piece bands at the most, uh, just in a corner of the cafe, but it's been, very well received. People come and really enjoy the, the local music and the local vibe of stuff that's going on. Um, and then on Sunday, we do a, a breakfast thing from 9 to 11. And then from 11 to 3, we do our normal menu. So, you know, we're mainly uh, day and uh, lunch focused, but we do do night things on the weekends. And we're by far the busiest on Friday, Saturday and Sunday of the week. So mm -hmm. oh, uh how long have you been in operation? And tell us a little bit about when the bakery part got started, because don't don't some people kind of refer to you as the fresh fresh bakery person on the square and the oversized cookies uh, that no one seems to be able to leave the cafe without? 
Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's part of the plan. <laughs> so we've um, tomorrow, I believe, will have been open twelve years. Tomorrow's our anniversary. Tomorrow's well, congratulations. our congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the cookies sold yes. out because, well, I mean, who doesn't like cookies? But uh, we had some cookie recipes that were both of our mom's cookies, and we used to do a little show. Um, years ago that we made some cookies to go along with selling the pottery. It was just a little market days thing. And, and we, I love to bake and, you know, we would, that was a way to make a little extra money back then. And um, I also love retail. I'm, I've been doing retail since I was 14. So that's been a couple of years. And, and I love, I, I like to think of the cafe and selling food and presenting it like on a plate in a case. I like, I think of that as retail, you know, making it beautiful, making it irresistible, colorful, healthy. And so we had gone to a few um, other restaurants in our area. And there are a couple in particular that have the most beautiful displays of all these baked goods and they're well lit. And so everybody that walks in there is like a moth to the flame. And when, before we started, I told John, we have got to find some cases like that and do our, our good cookies that are in our family, you know, heritage because I think that would be a real selling point and a way to lure people in. So that's how the cookies started. I fortunately don't have to make all the cookies now. Uh, we have several wonderful bakers who just uh, make an amazing array of cookies um, and keep us well stocked. But yes, people do love them. How big's your staff um, back in front of the house? I think we have about 35 employees right now so okay. yeah and this uh, is full service so you know i sit down in your restaurant somebody will come and take my well money. actually we're no. count, we're counter service counter but service. we're kind of a, a bit of a hybrid so people come in uh they stand in line to order they order at the counter mm -hmm. we have our menu boards that are chalkboards that are up on the wall and uh you order off the menu and then i mean off there and then at the station you go then you're assigned a table number and you go to that table and you sit down um, we, then we get the drinks for you. Right, we get the drinks for you, and then, then um, we then after that we'll come and refill drinks. We'll we have a bar area where you can come get your you know beer or wine, and then you uh, sit down, and then after that we serve you at the table. We bring out the, the the meals on plates. We bring out the silverware. We refill drinks. We kind of take care of you after that. So. We don't start out with people sitting at the table and a traditional you know, waiter or waitress going to the table. We have more of a, a counter service in that way. So that's kind of how our is, is most of your staff back at the house then? Um, no, we still have we still have, you know, probably on any given shift anywhere from five to seven or eight in the front of the house because we have bussers that are going constantly to clear tables and and we have uh, someone at the bar and then we have two people on POS, sometimes three. And then we have, you know, an expediter at the window and a food runner. So kind of that's the setup in the front of the house. It's probably a little more people in the back of the house, but in general, it's, it's, uh, it's you know, a decent amount in both. You know, getting the impression that you, you aren't struggling with uh, uh, labor supply as a lot of other operators are. It sounds like you've got a pretty robust uh, crew there. 
It's been a challenge. Um, we have a, a young man who's our manager who is, knock on wood, a wizard at finding people. He, he knows how to find employees because that was nothing John or I were ever really good at. And Brandon does a great job of finding us good employees. So it's been challenging during COVID, uh, but we have a very good staff right now, probably the best we've ever had. Um, it, it's been it's been a struggle. I mean, we've had a lot of turnover during all this time, and we we're, you know staffing as probably almost all restaurants. It's always a problem. I mean, you're always looking for more good people, and mm -hmm. and you know we've had days. I mean, we actually because of staffing, we started closing one day a week. So we uh, the last few months we've been closing on Tuesdays, which was our slowest day, just to try to help with the staffing issues. So yeah, we have struggled with staffing, but as Jan said, we uh, we hired a general manager, our first real general manager, a, a little over a year and a half ago, right before COVID Poor hit. Poor thing. And, uh, <laughs> and, but he's been great. He's been, he's uh, his experience was in, in management and hiring people and all that. And so he's been able to, find people to kind of fill in the blanks as we go. But there, and so Jan and I aren't involved as in much in the day-to-day -day of the front of the house as we were, but uh, because we've been able to, but still there are days when we are shorthanded and we jump in and, and help with that. But it's, uh, so yeah, it's always a struggle with labor, but I feel like we're in a, we're in a decent place compared to some people right now. Yeah. Chris, how many times have we heard that you can succeed and fail based on on your general manager how important that oh, is absolutely yeah you know? no, that's uh that's exactly right barry and so i think you're you're right if you have uh you know a manager and uh, that manager really gets it understands what you're looking for what the concept is all about uh and he's uh, obviously circulating through the community very well can you know connected with others so he's doing you know, all he can to attract the right people. I imagine that means that once people are in, you're probably having slightly better uh, percentage of retention now than you had before too. True, for the most part. Yeah. I mean, although with like we were saying with COVID, it's been, you know, some people come for short amounts of time, but no, I would say yes, in general, we do have good retention and we've got some people who've been with us for quite a while and, and they're kind of the core of what we're doing here too. So, and not only did, do we have him as the general manager now, he's uh, got another person who, a, a woman who he's groomed as a assistant manager. And so the two of them together work really well. We're in constant contact with them on what we want, but they do get the concept. They, they feel strongly about the business. They are very invested in what we're doing and making it a success. So I'm guessing if I had to guess based on what you've told me, you, you have artistic sensibilities. Is it kind of an artsy vibe? Are you attracting um, people who are creative and, and, and like yeah. that environment? Yeah, it's an interesting community. It, it really attracts a lot of, um, gosh, interesting people. We have astronauts that live here. We have all sorts of doctors, you know, things like tropical medicine specialists, epidemiologists. We have uh, a lot of people retire here. Yeah, you know, a lot to of the people area. Retire It's not a large here. community, but there's a lot of real interesting people, yeah. you know, other artists and stuff. We do do things like we have a, a rotating art show that hangs on the wall. We have a, a long wall of the cafe, which is about 60 feet long, that's uh, stuccoed. And we have uh, art on there most 
to the time year round. It's usually like a, a painters or photographers or even some ceramic artists have put work or sculptors have put work up and it'll be up for like six weeks or two months and then it'll come down. And so and we sell the some of the artwork that way, but it also creates a nice look to the cafe, a real mm-hmm. nice art vibe to it, you know, to that, too. And, yeah, we, we you know, for for us, uh, you know, being potters all those years, we've kind of. We'd, we've quit doing that in the last four or five years because the cafe got busier and busier and we needed to be working in it. But but a lot of the work and food and like Jan said earlier about display and all that, all of that for us feels real creative. It's, it's mm-hmm. a creative outlet for the creativity that we've always both had and wanted to express. The cafe has become one of those things for us to be able to do that with. Mm-hmm. Too. How do you plate a sandwich? How you add the fruit, how you, you know, how you display the cookies and the case, you know, that's all art as well. Also with the, with the, you know, the way you do your uh, menu boards, you know, they're all, I, I hand did them all with chalk, you know, on blackboards. And so uh, all that was fun for, you know, I mean, it's, it's work, but it's fun. I enjoy the creativity of that kind of stuff. And right. so we both it's did. not so it's not slick. It looks, it looks like there's a mom and pop, back there help you know like the handmade nature of things yeah yeah and that helps you certainly compete with the chains for people want something unique and it speaks to them individually so yeah yeah Yeah. and you know we i mean i love people so i know if i don't know your name i do know your face and we Mm -hmm. have hundreds or thousands of people that are our regular customers and you know sometimes i won't see them for three or four months and but you know, it's always so good to see see people when they come back in, and I love being that person that gets to greet them and know them. And so, you know, Jen brings up an interesting point because early on we divided, uh, kind of just naturally flowed into it. But she's more the front of the house person. She focuses on the front of the house. She's very good with people and customers and remembering people and knowing their family histories and all these kind of things. I'm the back of the house person. I focus more on the kitchen and the ordering and the stocking and all that. And we've always had that kind of, I mean, we talk about both things together, but that that dynamic of each of us having our area that we're a little more focused on and feel more comfortable in has been good. I mean, I'm okay going out in front of the house and working with people. I like people too, but she's much better at it. She's fine with cooking and coming to the back, but I just take that role on a little more myself. So, mm-hmm. So we've had this division of labor over the years. And then we we are our daughter, Tasha, who has her own business, too, which is a lavender farm. Uh, she's been involved in the cafe over the years, too, you know, off and on. And son-in-law. And our son-in-law, our G2, her husband. Mm-hmm. We've worked, we all work together as a family. Uh, they're, not as in, they're not involved in the day-to-day, but any big decisions or things that we're trying to think about doing or, or we have things we want to talk about or try this new item, they're always very involved in all of that, mm-hmm. too. And, and technical issues. Oh, Our, yeah. RG helps uh, build things and put things into place. Okay, and Tasha will, if the computers aren't running right, she's the one to ask for that. Although now our manager, he's really good at that too, where yeah, I'm past. hopeless and John's not bad, but <laughs> they're much better. Well, it's great that everyone's got the family dynamic working and it sounds like pieces of the puzzle are just fitting. Um, but another challenge that we, we think sometimes occurs when you're in a really small community is supply chain, product procurement. And uh, do you have any issues with finding 
um, you know, what you're needing, the quantities of what you're needing and the regularity of deliveries and things? Uh, for the most part, we're pretty good on that. I mean, early on in our uh, our existence at the cafe, I used to go to Austin once or twice a week and buy product, you know, from like the big chain restaurant store and things like that. But we also had the vendor, we had several of the, the broadline distributor vendors. Um, and we focused on one mainly and we kind of have stuck with them over the years. And as I wanted to not have to go to Austin as much and we were able to get more stuff through them. I mean, one of the reasons I did that to go shopping was to save money because we could get things cheaper and we could, you know, make things work without having to spend as much money. But over time, it, it became apparent that the time on the road was valuable and eating into my time a lot. Uh, and so it was more important for me to be here. And we, uh, we, you know, through uh, restaurant owner and, uh, Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine through the website and through the discussion forums. I learned so much over the years. I learned about uh, broadline distributors and how to uh, set up, you know, like a prime vendor relationship, which has been very good. We have a, I have a great relationship with the, with the company we work with. They work with me. I work with them. They're, they supply us probably with 85 or 90 percent of our food. And uh, that reading about that in the magazine and online and and just kind of getting how that works and how people are able to do those kind of things was was invaluable to developing that relationship and knowing kind of what works and what would be good idea to do and and that you don't have to shop around with five or six or seven vendors and get deliveries all the time you can consolidate and make it work and so you know um that that for us has been great we've had a uh, real good relationship with the company and, and also getting deliveries on other things. Over the years, we've worked it out. And I think right now we're not, except for supply chain issues now with the pandemic and all that, we're not really having uh, too many issues with getting uh, what we need as far as the, uh, the uh, restaurant. Costs have gone up astronomically. Oh, no. so bacon, chicken, <laughs> bread, Everything. mayonnaise. Well, we're having trouble getting, so we've had to do a lot of adapting more than ever before just in the last few months or six months on supply chain issues with uh, different breads that we use or different, you know, material or different suppliers. We're having to, I mean, it's almost like almost every week when I'm ordering, we're having to find substitutes that might work. And so that's been really challenging here lately um, on trying to make all that work. And the distributors themselves are saying they can't get the product either. So it's been, it's been an issue, but we're working through it. Yeah. And the man he works with his rep is great about hunting things down for him because, you know, we feel like a valued customer and he, he does a good job for us. Have you pared down your menu um, in light of that a bit? Um, <laughs> not really. <laughs> Not too much. Uh, our menus may be a little larger than it should be, but we, you know, feel like uh, the things we have all fit certain niches that work for people. And, you know, I've, I've read that there, there are certain things that you may keep on your menu. It's maybe not the biggest seller, but, but it feels that, that thing where people won't be to or will want to come to your restaurant because you still have that thing. So we haven't pared down too much. We have Done a little bit. We've also been doing a lot of, uh, with our managers now, a lot of uh, cost uh, analysis on our menu, where we stand right now, what our actual cost is on, on our, all our prime costs on our food and our labor costs. And, and that's been a real focus here recently. And that's been very helpful to see where we were 
We've actually had two menu price increases in the last year um, mm -hmm. because we just we realized we were underpriced on some stuff. Um, you know, for the most part, that has worked out well. We haven't really gotten a lot of pushback because I think right now people understand that sure. with the way things are going, all prices have gone up a lot. So, but it's been, it's been, we never like to raise prices. So that's been kind of challenging for us, but we understood we had to, you know, so. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like you've got a couple of things that you jumped on uh, that you're doing really, really well. The, the idea of the working relationship with the prime vendor, the idea of understanding more and more about your menu, staying current on item cost and adjusting prices, you know, as you need to. Um, so that kind of takes us to the customer uh, and being around for 12 years, uh, you obviously have had success in communicating to your customer. Could you tell us a little bit about your marketing program, how you communicate with the diversity of your, you know, small community regulars, uh, your more rural, uh, I guess, occasional visitors, the passerbys, uh, how, how do you stay on top of it? How do you market your brand to that type of customer base? Well, most things we do these days are with social media and uh, we have, you know, we have a, a online presence and we have our website, we have our newsletter that goes out, we have, uh, you know, we're on Facebook and Twitter and all those different kinds of things. We have a person now who does our social media stuff. We give her all the information, um, we get her photographs, we give her what our specials are, all those things. And so we send out blasts on that. Um, as far as for locals too, we have a, our local chamber of commerce has a really good uh, uh, blast that they send out every uh, an email blast they send out every uh, twice a week, and we always get information on there, and that's been a lot of people read that and get that. Um, as far as you know, over the years we haven't really done much advertising as far as like newspapers or magazines or any of that kind Austin of stuff. Yeah, I mean we did do a couple with an Austin publication, an edible Austin publication, for a number of years, and that. Uh, got us some exposure in Austin for people who were coming out to Real Ale or coming out to the Hill Country. Um, and that was that was really one of the only things we did in that yeah. format. Um, we relied a lot on, and for better or for worse, the review sites have helped us over the years a lot because, you know, we get pretty good reviews, TripAdvisor, um, you know, Yelp and those. And so when people would be passing through town, uh, Jan touched on earlier that we're on a major highway, that goes through our, right through our downtown. And uh, when people would be passing through town and looking for a place to eat and they'd you know, look at the reviews and look at the sites, we would get a lot of traffic off that. Um, you know, our, our clientele varies from uh, an, an older kind of retired clientele in the parts of the time, but on weekends we get a lot of travelers, a lot of families passing through, especially during you know, summer and spring break and all that. Uh, we get a lot of uh, families that pass through and come mm. into the place. Young people who, you know, are foodies and, and love the craft beer and come out for a fun day, you know, in a small town, just to get out of Austin or San Antonio and just kind of relax and, and uh, enjoy that more country relaxed feeling. And so um, we get a lot of that. And I think, you know, because we do try to, have um well we're in a real we're also yeah. in a touristy area too so we're yeah. getting we, we've got a lot of like you touched on when you first uh, talked about this we have a lot of wineries in the area we have a lot of distilleries now oh, in yeah. the area that are well thought of we've got the the brewery 
Uh, we've got a lot of, you know, uh, natural, we've got a state park in our town. There's a couple other state parks in the area. So there's a lot of people who come out to the Hill Country just for day trips or for a weekend trip. Fredericksburg, which is a very highly touristed area, it's only like about 35 miles away. So, you know, people either are traveling through or they'll stop in here on their way somewhere else or they'll come to our town and, and visit it. We, we are... Uh, and our general manager, Brandon, too, are really into trying to promote the town and get more people to stay in, in Blanco, you know, and uh, visit the other things, other restaurants we have, the other, the other shopping experiences we have. We're a small town, but we do have a lot of nice things that you can do while you're here. Yeah. I've always uh, thought of the Hill Country, at least major parts of it, as, as a destination. And right. it sounds like you get some, a fair amount of destination guest traffic in addition to the locals. Oh, yes. And there's yes. also a lot of wedding venues in the area, too. Mm -hmm. And we touched on earlier that there's an old. So right across the street, we're, we have a town square in our small town. And the middle of that town square is an old courthouse built in 19, I mean, 1885. And that courthouse only actually served as a county seat for about five years. And the county seat was then moved to another town in the Johnson City, which is up the road from us. Mm -hmm. So when they did, the courthouse was kind of abandoned. And it was many things over the years. It was a bank. It was a it was a hospital. It was it was a Ooh. restaurant. It was all sorts of things. But um, uh, back when we first got into the area and had our pottery shop, uh, there was talk of that courthouse being torn down or moved to another location. And and a lot of locals uh, got really involved in wanting to save it. And we were part of that. And and wanting to. Uh, buy this courthouse that was uh, part of the town and had been forever and uh, turn it into something. So um, there was a whole organization form that was a save the courthouse. And then after that courthouse was bought, then it was turned into a, um, a preservation society for the courthouse. And so that courthouse has now been restored. It's a beautiful uh, structure. And so um, there's a lot of events there. The upstairs, which was the old courtroom, which is a large, big open room, uh, even had some movies filmed there. They filmed some courtroom scenes when, when they did True, True Grit mm -hmm. a few years back, the remake. And um, there's a lot of weddings and stuff that happened there. There's uh, like there's market days around the square on the weekends on uh, once a month. And and it's just a it's just a great spot for people to come and they can go in and see historic pictures on the wall. So, you know, all that kind of ties into what we that's one of the reasons we get a lot of traffic around town, people passing through, enjoying the area and, and uh, stuff. So it's uh, and Jan's been on that board for many years of the courthouse and the preserving and restoring of that courthouse. So. Yeah. Yeah, we do a lot of, um, we, we love this community, so we try to help, you know, we're on things, boards and stuff, and just, you know, feel fortunate to be part of a community like this. Right. You know, Chris, we, again, we've talked to a lot of different operators and some very successful ones in this particular environment, and almost invariably, they're not just running a business um, isolated. They are part of the community. They are, uh, use the term fixtures in the community, faces people know. Um, I'm getting the sense that that's just really a critical part of succeeding as independent, particularly in, um, in smaller towns. I think you're 100% right. Uh, yeah, everything that Jan 
and John are talking about sound so um, so natural, so warm, just so part of the everyday activity, know your neighbor, be active with your community, um, become um, a sponsor of different events, and all of this kind of stuff helps their, helps their brand. I think it goes back to what we see time and time again is that people really like doing business with people that they like. Mm-hmm. And so if, you know, the more John and Jan continue to do things like they're doing with events and with associations and with chambers, uh, the more they're mingling, uh, the more they're liking people, the more people are liking them and, and you know, the better it is for business. And, and speaking of business, we understand that this, this is uh, not too long ago, you have made the decision to expand your business. Maybe you could go into detail about how you're adding on to the concept, where you stand with your plans for the uh, beer garden and pizza kitchen. Yeah, so uh, for for many years since so when we uh, the the property that we are in and have bought had a lumberyard component to it. So behind the cafe and the pottery shop, there's a, a an area back there that was the original lumberyard, and there's still some of those buildings that exist that have some of the lumber bins where there'd be wood in the bins, you know, and it would say like two by fours and two by sixes and all that. So it's a it's a real cool area and. Um, we had thought for many years that it'd be a great spot for a beer garden, but we had never really been able to get to a point where we thought we could take that on and, and build this out and then staff it and, and everything. But with the general manager, Brandon coming on and, and, and being enthusiastic and interested in it, uh, we have decided to move ahead with that. So we have done a, we've gotten with architects and done a conceptual plan and we've got a contractor lined up. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to develop the area behind the cafe. You'll be able to come through the cafe and go to the back area. Uh, we've been limited for a long time. The building we're in only has two bathrooms. And so we're going to add a bathroom complex so that we can have more <laughs> restroom facilities, which are needed many times. Um, and we'll have a beer garden. And we'll also have kind of an area where we can host events or people could have weddings or rehearsal dinners, things like that. And as part of it, we're going to have, um, we're going to have a, probably offer a pizza component to that. Uh, We think pizza and the beer and wine kind of go really well together. We love pizza. We've looked into that some. We've been investigating and coming up with ideas on that. We'll probably do some other bar food out there to go along with it. Um, But yeah, we've been working on that. We're going to be, hopefully we have uh, architects drawing up like the working drawings right now. Now we got the uh, conceptual plans approved by the city we had to go through a whole historic, we're in a historic district in, in the town. And so we had to go through a whole approval process through the historic commission uh, to get that approved that we were doing the appropriate things and it would look the appropriate way to fit in, which we did get approval on that just about two weeks ago, a week and a half ago. And so uh, we're, we're moving forward with that idea. Um, and I think, I think it will be well-received. I think we'll, we'll also have an area out there where we can have some concerts and music and, mm-hmm. and different things. We'll have kind of some areas where people can play games and stuff. We, you know, it's a decent amount of space out there. And I think you know, it'll, it'll fit in well with what we're already doing and kind of flow. They'll flow together and work together well. Oh, no doubt. I think it'll flow together well. You seem to have had, you know, 12 years now of established consumer trends, and it's around an awful lot of the local beer tasting 
uh, that seems to have gone well. So to take that to the next step now, to have events, music, uh, around beer, add pizza to the beer program. Uh, yeah, it sounds to me more like a, a natural next step. How much more capacity will you be adding once this is done? Um, well, so as far as, you know, I know square footage or something like that, that would be enclosed out there. It might be like eight or 10,000 more square feet that would be enclosed within fences and all that kind of area. There'll be, there's covered, you know, there's covered areas and there'll be open areas. Um, we'll have a remote kitchen out there and bar area. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a fairly large uh, thing. We'll be able to handle several hundred easily more people um, mm -hmm. on any given time, I think. So, um, but we'll hope to, you know, we'll hope to kind of grow it slowly, which is always our mantra, you know, take it one step at a time and, and work through it and, and stuff. But um, uh, that's, that's the plan. <laughs> In terms of um, your takeaway, I mean, your your uh, business is very hospitality oriented, and I really appreciate that. In terms of takeaway business, delivery business, everybody talks about that, which is really a little bit more food service and hospitality, or it doesn't necessarily have to be. But um, is that a shift that you saw as well? Um, particularly with the pandemic, where people were coming in for curbside. A food rather than to maybe hang out yes yes and that was a <laughs> yes for sure so yeah early on when we were completely uh, shut down except for curbside for a while um yes we had to transition we had to get our online menu in line and set up well uh we actually uh our general manager and us uh, were able to borrow a bunch of picnic tables from the um from the Chamber of Commerce that weren't being used and put them on the lawn of the courthouse uh, with their permission for all the restaurants and patrons of the restaurants around the square to be able to use. And that worked really well. People would come we, by curbside. We, we took trash cans over yeah. and then monitored the trash cans and cleaned up right. every day. Uh, but it allowed families to get out, especially after a couple of months when they were ready to. Because there was plenty of social distancing outside. Yeah. And so as long as the weather was nice, people really enjoyed that. And, and many uh, people from all the different restaurants used that area. But yeah, so uh, take, uh, takeout has become a much bigger part. Like I said earlier, too, we uh, do some deliveries and takeout containers to the brewery. And we also do that to. Uh, one of the distilleries and one of the wineries, not as much as the brewery, but we do some of that. And we have a lot more people coming in and ordering takeout, uh, taking it. It's become a larger percentage of our business for sure. We uh, we go through a lot more to-go containers than we used to. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we've uh, we've pivoted on all those kind of things. We were even doing, you know, as when the uh, they loosened up the uh, rules on alcohol to-go, we were able to do things like mimosa flights and beer to go, uh, we were doing those also. So yeah, uh, takeout and to go has become a larger part of our business for sure. And having the online menu uh, that is functional that people can do, they can make their own modifications, all those kind of things has been a real plus that we would have probably not gotten into if it wasn't for the pandemic as much, but we have, so. Any thoughts about expanding day parks? Um, uh, you know, you, it sounds like lunch, that midday service is really your your bread and butter. Um, is there a, is there a breakfast crowd there? Are there uh, is there room for um, expanding 
dinner service. Uh, is that something that's been on your radar at all? Yes, there's both those things. Yes, for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, the breakfast service is definitely something we would like to expand into, especially on the weekends more, and dinner service too during the week. I think both this, the both those things are things that would fill a need in the area and in the community. Um, I think up till now, what's held us back is staffing. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the other thing that's held us back somewhat is we have a fairly small kitchen for the size of restaurant that we have or for the amount of people we serve. And it's, uh, it's fairly cramped. And so when we do breakfast kind of menus, it's hard to do a switch over from the two from breakfast to lunch and, kind of there, we have a limited amount of hood space and grill space. Part of the thing we're going to do with the uh, building out of the beer garden in the back is we're gonna, once that's built and up and running, we're gonna remodel the kitchen inside the cafe and expand that into some areas that we will be able to once we move other things out of the building inside. And so we'll be able to have more, we'll put in more, put more of a hotline in that's longer and bigger and we'll be able to do more uh, breakfast service and dinner service. And hopefully uh, with that, we can then increase the staff to meet those demands. We use a new kitchen as maybe some commissary space for prepping for the other restaurants. So right now we have the kitchen. And then, so when this building was a hardware store and then after it was a hardware store, it was a, it was another kind of little grocery store, but it had a, it had some uh, offices that were built in that were used like by our chiropractor and things like that. And so we've had to adapt those existing spaces, which were kind of small, but each one has a use now. One's a prep room, one's a baking room, uh, one's a storage room. And so we've kind of adapted to the space we have, but it doesn't function as well as it could. And so I think it doesn't flow as well. So I think uh, part of our remodel will be to make a kitchen that flows better, that we have more space to work in, that we can add more uh, equipment into and be able to uh, uh, do a better job of getting things out in a timely fashion. Sometimes we struggle with time uh, on our how long it takes to get our food out. Uh, because we'll get backed up and our kitchen is kind of small and, and cramped. So mm-hmm. that's part of what we're looking forward to and move is, is as we move forward is getting that in better shape. That's exciting. Very, very exciting. And this online ordering that uh, that you obviously needed to, you know, position to quite quickly. Uh, we're noticing that even though things are changing a little bit, social distancing is beginning to be easier managed. People are dining in. That, that still a lot of the online ordering and curbside pickup hasn't diminished. That's uh, true. true. Yeah. That's happening to you as well. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. A lot of people, I mean, you know, because, yes, people still feel comfortable getting things and taking them home mm-hmm. and eating them. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I'm glad to hear you validated only because it, it validates my perception is that takeaway and delivery is is not going to go back to pre-covid it's it's uh it's going to yeah. be it's going to be a certain percentage of that business is going to remain steady yeah. i believe that is true we think that yes too. yes mm-hmm. and and to that point are you successful offering the exact same menu um we, we have seen some people adapt to where they have a dine-in menu that's a little different than the package menu for curbside pickup uh, we're pretty much doing our full menu with the curbside. We do worry sometimes about how well it travels and how well it is. You know, some things that might get you know a little soggy or things in the in the getting them home. And we like 
we want them to be the best they can be when they get them. And we talk about that often, but we, we haven't come up with anything necessarily that solves any of those issues, but we work hard at making sure that things are done in the time they say they're going to be done. So when people pick them up, they're hot and fresh and they can take them you know, home and eat them right away or if we're delivering them, those kind of things too. But, uh, but we're pretty much doing our full menu with the uh, curbs, I mean, with the uh, online menu. And you know, Barry, to this point, this might be one area where they have a slight advantage in that they don't have fryers because so many people uh, that have, you know, a lot of fried items on their menu and then have a tough time transitioning the fried items in a to-go situation, but they're popular. So they feel like they need to offer them. Right. And they're having trouble with fried shrimp. They have trouble with the onion rings, you know, wilting or the French fries getting soggy. And at least that's one thing that, you know, you two haven't had to face. True. true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Every cloud, you know. <laughs> well, Chris, uh, I've really enjoyed this. This is um, this, this is this concept's a lot of fun, John and Jan. You, you uh, um, I, I just like what you're doing. It, it just, it sounds good. It feels good. I think we're going to need to pop in there, maybe. What do you think, Barry? Well, I think we need. To well, I need an invitation to Hill Country, Chris. You know, Anytime. Anytime. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you have helped us, whether you yeah. know it or not, yeah. with your magazine and website. Before we end, I'd just like to reiterate that that you know, from we, uh, I found uh, the online side in the magazine right before we opened when we were planning the place, and all the inside from the magazine, from all your uh, manuals, the things we can download and use, from the discussion forums, has proved invaluable. We would not be the restaurant we were, we are if it weren't for your, your and Chris contribution too. and Chris also. Chris is and does a wonderful job with all that as well. And now well, he's it, even closer to us. So. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 nice, um, and uh, it's a, a privilege and a and a pleasure to uh, to provide that for you. And and uh, now that I have uh, friends in the hill country, Chris, uh, uh, we may have to uh, arrange for a trip. I think so. I think I think just some research and development that's got to be on the. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We can take you around to a few fun places. I, I bet you can. Well, you know, we're, we're coming to the end of our hour here. I, I'd love to talk to you for uh, another hour. Um, but um, thank you very much for taking time and, and, and telling us your story. It's fascinating. Um, so uh, we really appreciate it. We're going uh, to let you go now so you can get ready. I know you're going to have a very busy weekend. But thanks again for spending this time with us. You thank bet. you so much. We appreciate it. Y'all take care. Thank you. You too. Thank Be you well. Everyone for joining us. Hopefully we'll catch up with you real quick on another Corner Booth. Thank you for joining us on the Corner Booth. We'll be back next Tuesday with more inspiration, insights, and industry best practices to help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business.